She is a serial killer and brutal con man. With the aim of expropriating property and insurance money from her family and friends, she brutally and inhumanely killed many people. Her evil plans are carried out by cruel means, including the use of poisons and guns. Welcome to our crime detective program. Today, we will dive into the horrifying case of Rosemary Andy Lovu, one of the most brutal and terrifying crimes in the history of crime in South Africa. Let's delve deeper into the criminal psychology of Rosemary Andy Lovu. If you love crime shows, then this is definitely a case full of horror and horror that you cannot ignore. South Africa's wine industry has flourished over the past century establishing its wines as a staple in any collection. But behind this idyllic exterior lies a dark and sinister story. Join us as we explore the case of Rosemary Andy Lovu, a woman whose actions would shock the nation and leave a lasting impact on the lives of those she affected. As we get closer to our destination for the day, we will be entering the province of Gauteng, which is located in South Africa and contains the country's most populous metropolis, Johannesburg. Johannesburg, which is one of the world's megacities, is the financial and industrial hub of South Africa. Nevertheless, despite the fact that this may be the case, the city is severely stratified in terms of wealth, with an astounding 37% unemployment rate and 29% of the population residing in informal housing. This creates a tremendously divisive gap. To put it succinctly, living in a major metropolitan area is not necessarily good for everyone. One might make the case that money is what saves the world from coming to a stop. This idea that it enables us to get needs, necessities, and also indulgences appears to receive a lot of attention from the topic at hand today. Rosemary Andy Lovu resides in the northeastern corner of Johannesburg, which is also the location of her place of business. In 1975, Rosemary Andy Lovu was brought into the world by her mother, Maria, and a man who has never been identified as her father. Rosemary was a native and lifelong resident of Johannesburg, she had a childhood that was very typical for most people her age and also completed high school well. During her maturity, she was considered to be a typical woman, and those who knew her well claimed that she could be rather brazen at times and had a personality that was predominantly male. She went through the necessary training and then found work as a police officer, a position in which she excelled because of the tenacious disposition she possessed. In spite of the fact that Rosemary had devoted the vast majority of her life to her career, she was still planning on getting married. 2011 was the year that she first became acquainted with her current lover, Maurice Mabasa. It was well known that Maurice was a compassionate and kind man, both physically and monetarily. He worked for the United States Embassy in this country because he was responsible for his 14 siblings and his aged mother. He had pals spread out over all of Johannesburg. Additionally, his employment took him to many other provinces. According to what is known, Rosemary and Maurice appeared to have reasonably happy relationship, despite the fact that it was known that they had the occasional disagreement here and there. 
struggles with finances, hard days at work, the kinds of things that are par for the course, and some minor disagreements. Both Rosemary and Maurice were high earners in their respective sectors of business and made a good living from their labor. However, there was a significant contrast between the two in terms of how they would spend their money. Rosemary was the complete antithesis of her brother Maurice, who was kind enough to share his fortune with other members of the family who were frequently in less fortunate circumstances. She was addicted to gambling, thus she would frequently spend all the money she had on herself and her habit rather than assisting her mother or her siblings who were in need. And a significant number of them actually struggled to make ends meet. Because of the nature of Rosemary's employment as well as the way her family members live their lives and the conditions in which they live, she would frequently suggest to them that they should think about purchasing life insurance due to the unfortunate fact that the death rate for individuals who live in poverty in Johannesburg is quite high. Due to the fact that she held a well-paying position inside the family, she frequently offered to both file and pay for those insurance plans. As a result, applications for insurance were submitted on behalf of various members of the family including her cousin, Witness Madala Homu. Rosemary had previously told Homu's mother that she was concerned for her son, mostly owing to the manner in which he carried himself and the individuals with whom he associated himself. She persuaded Homu's mother to enroll him in a burial society as a result of her encouragement. The policy was submitted with Homu's mother's permission after she gave her acceptance. However, Rosemary made a mistake throughout this process by identifying herself as Homu's wife. Given that she is his cousin, there are several problems with this assertion. After a brief period of time, in March of 2012, Homu abruptly vanished without a trace. No one knows what happened to him. Due to the fact that Homu's family lives in poverty and does not have access to modern conveniences such as cameras, cell phones, or social media profiles, there are very few photographs of Homu or his family. However, Homu was a devoted family man. He had a strong bond with the rest of his family and had a special place in his heart for his mother. The fact that they had no last known contact with anyone made it a very concerning indicator for the family when they suddenly disappeared. Rosemary, who appeared to be distressed by her cousin's absence, took the initiative to seek for him and reassured her family that she would give it her best effort in an effort to locate him. Sadly, even that search didn't provide very many results for very long. The body of Homu was found just a few kilometers away in Oliphant's Fontaine, which is a town located to the north of Tembisa. This happened very soon after the inquiry had begun. His death was judged a homicide when autopsies revealed that the cause of his death was blunt force trauma to his skull. It is quite self-evident that his death was not an accident. But alas, these regions of South Africa are considered to be of a lesser social level. He was only one of the numerous people who have been murdered in this region. And as a direct consequence of that, it was unfortunately decided that future inquiries would not be worth the investment of either time or money. 
Witness Madala Holm who was laid to rest in March of 2012. And despite the fact that Rosemary had purchased insurance for her cousin, she did not give nearly enough money to cover the costs of his burial. In point of fact, in spite of the fact that she was paid a total of 100,000 rand, which is equivalent to $6,500 via his death, she only donated a pitiful amount of 200 rand. The death of Holm who left his family in utter disarray. But since they had so little money, they had little time to mourn. After his passing, they did not waste much time getting back to their professional life. After all, occurrences like these were rather typical in the region. It is now June of 2013, which means that we have advanced the calendar by one year. Audrey, Rosemary's sister who lived in the neighborhood, was going about her regular activities at the time. At that point, Rosemary gave her a call to inquire as to whether or not she would be interested in joining her for dinner later that evening. This invitation took Audrey completely by surprise. Even though it was out of character for her, she eagerly accepted the offer. She invited Rosemary over to her leased room in Tembisa, and the two of them proceeded to eat dinner together after Rosemary's arrival. The sight of her sister brought joy to Audrey. It had been some time, and the two of them only sometimes spent an evening in the company of one another. It is said that nothing noteworthy took place during this supper, and once it was over, Rosemary departed Audrey's residence and traveled back to her own home. Despite her best efforts, Rosemary was unable to reach Audrey by phone the very next day, which appeared to take her by surprise. Therefore, out of anxiety, she alerted the authorities and asked them to start looking for the second member of her family who had gone missing. When Rosemary returned to her sister's residence the very next day, the neighbors heard her screaming and weeping as she grieved for the loss of her sister. They also saw her grieving in front of them. Sadly, Audrey had been poisoned and then strangled in her very own house before being left dead on her floor to be found the very following day. Her body was found on the floor. It was kind of shocking that Audrey had taken up life and funeral insurance policies in her own name before to her own death because she could hardly afford the accommodation that she leased. Audrey had purchased the policies in her own name. Rosemary was the one who benefited financially from the settlements made by the insurance company and the funeral home, which together amounted to 700,000 rand about $45,000. As a result, another member of the family had been discovered dead. Both of the deceased individuals were from low-income homes, and their life insurance policies were both made out to Rosemary as the beneficiary of the policies. And much like the other murder, this one was rarely looked into or pursued by authorities. A few months later, in the year 2014, Rosemary relocated to police stations opting in order to begin working as a constable in the brand new Tembisa South Station in the Eastern End. She would not take long to get used to her new responsibilities. Her new co-workers all vouched for her, saying that she was very kind and lovely to be around. She would frequently buy them additional lunches and provide financial assistance to those of them who were strapped for cash. However, it wasn't the case all of the time. 
Rosemary would come into the workplace on certain days with a very black cloud around her, frequently agitated and angry, and complain to her co-workers that she was broke. She would make sure that they all knew that she was broke. They were also aware that she had been going to the major casino in Johannesburg known as the Empress Palace, which is located in Kempton Park. It looked as though Rosemary was winning money on a regular basis, only for her to blow it all on pointless activities like gambling and shopping. And despite the fact that Rosemary had just begun a new profession, she did not become pregnant until the year 2014, when she gave birth to her one and only kid. Her name was Makanani. Their daughter was the most important thing in the world to Maurice and Rosemary and they would do whatever in their power to make sure she was happy. As a responsible parent, Maurice is fulfilling his role in the care that he provides for Makanani. The couple's troubled marriage would not be healed by the arrival of their new daughter, despite the joy of the occasion. In point of fact, the nature of their relationship was so tumultuous that Maurice would frequently go without a trace when things became intolerable. This pattern persisted right up until one particular evening in October of 2015. After having yet another quarrel with each other, the couple decided to part ways for the evening and go their own ways. Rosemary remained in the house with the infant while Maurice did what he always did and stormed out of the house. However, for some inexplicable reason, this time he never came back home. Rosemary's concern increased as she realized that her friend had been missing for more than one night, and she decided to seek assistance at the local police station. And I'm sure you can anticipate where we're heading with this. A body of a deceased man, subsequently determined to be that of Maurice Mabasa, was discovered in the town of Oliphant's Fontaine only later on the exact same day. Maurice Mabasa's body was soon after recognized. The end for Maurice had been predicted to be very brutal. He had more than 80 puncture wounds all over his body. And after all of this, his body was discarded in the middle of a deserted road. Despite the fact that the manner in which he passed away left little to no room for speculation, the underlying motivation behind why he was murdered was not evident. Nothing of value had been taken from him during the ordeal. In point of fact, he was recognized due to the fact that his wallet, which had his credit card, was discovered on him. And just like the last time, this incident was covered up and there was no further investigation into what had happened. It should come as no surprise that Rosemary would be the beneficiary of Maurice's life insurance policy. She was awarded 400,000 rand in compensation for her loss in addition to an additional 100,000 rand from the United States Embassy, where he had worked. There were three people who passed away, three insurance policies that were paid out to Rosemary, and three occasions in which she was now in a better financial position. The fact that there were so many deaths in the family should have been enough to raise questions, but unexpectedly, they were not raised. We are now in June of 2016 and Rosemary has recently welcomed a new roommate into her house. Due to the fact that she was facing financial difficulties, her niece Sanel Indiluvo had traveled to be with her for the next three weeks. Tragically, 
Zanelle was killed when she was struck by a car in Kempton Park while she was there for a brief vacation. Zanelle's survival is nothing short of a miracle. She did, however, suffer several injuries, and so Rosemary, being a kind friend, drove her to the hospital so that she could be examined there. Zanelle was released from the hospital the exact same day after her examination revealed that the injuries she had sustained were just superficial. As a result, Rosemary was able to once again take Zanelle under her care and raise her at their house. On the other hand, Zanelle began to report that she was experiencing tremendous discomfort in her chest that very same night. In point of fact, the anguish had intensified to the point that she was unable to control her tears. Rosemary took her to the emergency room first thing the following morning, but when they got there, only one of them was breathing. Zanelle had only a few abrasions on her face when she was inspected, but the true problem was on the inside, where she had many fractures in her ribs and her liver was gravely injured. Zanelle's medical condition was hopeless, and the doctors were unable to help her. If she had these wounds on the previous day, there was no way that they would have released her from the hospital. The inference that can be drawn from this is that this must have taken place after she had been dismissed. Rosemary responded to the physician's questions by stating that she had no clue how anything like this could have occurred. It would appear that Rosemary had spent the majority of that day away from home. Therefore, it is possible that the injury was both accidental and self-inflicted. As it turned out, Zanelle did in fact have a life insurance policy and Rosemary was once more designated as the beneficiary of the policy. She was given 120,000 rand, which is roughly comparable to $7,500. The authorities did not raise any questions about the occurrences, and as a result, no investigations were ever carried out. Another member of the family is missing, but nobody seems to be suspicious about what happened. Who, precisely? is aware of what transpired on that fatal evening with Zanelle. Unfortunately, the final chapter of her life would end with her as well. Case closed. The books have been closed. Following Zanelle's passing, Rosemary began to develop stronger relationships with other members of her family, particularly Zanelle's brother, Mayani Mashaba. This was especially true after Zanelle's passing. In April of 2017, Mayani was going to visit Pretoria, which is a city just north of Johannesburg. Rosemary, who wanted to be closer with her nephew, volunteered to drive him halfway, at which point he could catch a lift from a gas station. Mayani's trip was scheduled to take place in April of that year. Mayani agreed. After dropping him off as agreed upon on the R21, Rosemary eventually made her way back to her own residence later that same day. In addition, she was contacted by the authorities the very following day through a phone call. After conducting their investigation, the corpse that had been discovered at Oliphant's Fontaine was determined to be that of Mayani. Another person has passed away, which means another insurance claim will need to be submitted. Only this time. The insurance company was a little bit more meticulous in their investigation. On the policy, Rosemary was classified as Mayani's partner, which, one again, 
is kind of gross. And because Maiani was unable to provide any proof of such a connection, the claim was eventually denied. Again, this is kind of gross. Rosemary did not acquire anything. And we saw a continuation of that pattern later in 2017. In April of that year, Rosemary's nephew Brilliant Machego went missing for no apparent reason, and he was ultimately discovered dead several days after his disappearance. Rosemary was the last person to see Brilliant alive, according to the records of Brilliant's mobile phone, and Rosemary and Brilliant spent the majority of the previous day together, traveling from Johannesburg to Bushbuckridge before parting ways in the evening, according to Rosemary's records. Brilliant was found dead the next morning. These allegations were refuted by Rosemary, who also declined to answer questions from the relevant authorities on the matter. In a situation quite similar to the one described before, Brilliant owned three life insurance policies under his own name, and Rosemary was named as the beneficiary of all of them as his mother. However, because they were unable to present any evidence to support their allegation, it was finally dismissed as false. After the deaths of not one, but six members of Rosemary's family due to unexplained causes, I'm sure that even Rosemary questioned whether or not she could ever be stopped from continuing her murdering rampage. She had successfully eluded the authorities six times, and she had no intention of stopping anytime soon. This would continue to remain the situation until the year 2018. Rosemary was growing more and more desperate since the two killings that had occurred inside the family had been unsuccessful due to insurance claims being denied. She was running out on funds and needed to make additional individuals vanish as quickly as possible. This time, however, she would enlist the assistance of a professional assassin by the name of Njabulukuni. She had already placed Kunin under arrest for owning a firearm a number of years ago due to the fact that she was a police officer and had located him via her line of work. She went to him with a plan to murder her own sister, Joyce, and her alarming request included the murder of all five of Joyce's children, the smallest of which was just six months old. Kunin was far from being a saint, so it's not surprising that he was taken aback by her plea. Because it was such a malicious directive, Cunin was unable to carry it out. Instead, he went to the authorities with the knowledge that he had, despite the fact that it was sufficient for him to be considered a criminal. He revealed everything, informing the authorities about her history, her plan, and her reason for committing the crime. In response to this, the police made the decision to recruit Cunin to participate in an undercover operation designed to gather further evidence. The strategy was straightforward. Undercover officers would covertly install a video camera in the suspect's vehicle. All that was required was for Cunin to get Rosemary to ride with her in the passenger seat so that she would inadvertently reveal her own intentions. Rosemary received a phone call from Cunin, who asked her if she could meet with him to iron out the specifics. She consented, on the condition that this time Cunin would be accompanied by an accomplice who was in fact a covert law enforcement agent. 
She gave her word that she would take the two of them to Bushbuck Ridge, which is approximately a five-hour journey from Johannesburg. This was done in order to demonstrate to them where her sister and her children resided as well as the specific manner in which she desired for them to be murdered. The undercover operation was a huge success, and it is eerie to think of what Rosemary could have been saying when she was caught on tape. In a few of minutes after showing the assassins the home that she shared with her sister, Rosemary was taken into custody. The subsequent legal proceeding was a drawn-out one that began in the year 2018. She was charged with six charges of murder and put on trial for the deaths of her cousin Madala Homu, her sister Audrin Lovu, her lover Maurice Mabasa, her niece Sinel, her mother, and her nephews Mayani Mashabo and Brilliant Michego. Her trial lasted six days. Moreover, throughout the course of her murderous rampage, Rosemary was able to amass 1.4 million rand in rewards from various insurance policies, which is equivalent to around $91,000 or £65,000. Because there was never much of an inquiry into any particular case, the court had a difficult time gathering adequate evidence to support all six of the murders that she was charged with committing during her trial. As a direct consequence of this, the court was required to spend a significant amount of time compiling this one-of-a-kind case against her. Rosemary Indilovu's trial did not begin until the 22nd of October, 2021, which was three years after her arrest. The court called a total of 40 witnesses to testify against Rosemary, including her family members, her co-workers, and the two assassins that she had tried to pay to kill her sister. Among these witnesses were two of the assassins that Rosemary had tried to employ. Rosemary approached the courtroom in a light-hearted manner and frequently smiled for the cameras, as if she were oblivious of the gravity of the circumstance in which she found herself. Several members of the families of those who had passed away spoke about how callous and insensitive she had been while attending the funerals of their loved ones. It was also brought to light that despite the fact that she was the one who prepared and filed such insurance policies, she was also the person who always saw the victim alive for the very final time and scarcely donated anything toward the costs of the funeral. It wasn't until Rosemary started to see a pattern of unfavorable coincidences that she became resentful toward her co-worker. She responded angrily and impolitely to the charges that she was involved in any of these deaths, vehemently denying any responsibility for any of the killings. Even the act of filming her made her furious, so she lashed out at the journalists. Regardless of this, towards the conclusion of her trial, she claimed that she was innocent. Although she did apologize to the families and friends of those who had been slain and pleaded for forgiveness, she also stated that she would never hurt anybody intentionally. It didn't take Rosemary very long to come to a decision on something. Rosemary Lova was found guilty on all charges in October of 2021. These charges included six counts of murder with premeditation, four acts of fraud, and seven incitements to murder. As a result, she was given six life sentences, 70 years for incitement to commit murder, and an additional 10 years for her fraud against the council.
Before Rosemary can even be considered for parole, she will have to turn 71 years old. Rosemary was a self-centered monster with a gambling addiction who considered her own family members to be a commodity that could be traded for monetary gain. This is to say about her in the most complimentary way possible. This is a tragic and painful story, and because of her path of destruction, she has left a great hole in her own family. This was a family that had always loved and trusted her, and some of them did so right up until the very end. Some of her family members loved her until the very end. But on a more upbeat note, owing to the conscience of Rosemary's assassin, a woman and her five children were all given a second chance at life. And who knows who else he may have rescued as a result of his actions. In order to bring this investigation to a close, I would want to share with you the interview that was conducted with Rosemary's sister. Rosemary's sister is currently dealing with the realization that her very own sister attempted to kill her by setting her on fire. I have nothing to offer you. Even my home was a product of government construction. This distresses me because she has maintained steady employment for a significant amount of time. Is she not ashamed by the fact that she intended to ignite me on fire in a building that belonged to the government? I am jobless. Nothing belongs to me at all. After that, they drove Rosemary back to the car where they had left her. I kept wondering what was occurring. After that, they discussed what had brought them to this location. It was the fact that I would be passing away today at 9 o'clock with my children. They alleged that my sister had purchased narcotics, gasoline, and cold drinks, and that she had put the drugs into me so that I would not feel anything as we burn. I couldn't understand why she wanted to end my life when I had nothing to offer her. When I saw her in court, I couldn't help but feel terrible for her. But then I recalled that both my children and I were supposed to have already passed away. The case for today has been resolved, and that should about do it. I really appreciate you taking the time for our case today. You are familiar with the procedure by now. If you found it interesting, please give a thumb up and follow my channel. It is very helpful to me. As usual, I look forward to conversing with you once more in the very near future through the next case. However, until that time comes, it is important that we look out for one another. Goodbye.